This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, August 11th, 2021. I'm Cable Brown. Seasteading, living independently on a land-like structure. As an idea, it's been around for at least decades. Joe Quirk is president of the Seasteading Institute. We spoke last month about the technical and legal hurdles to getting floating homes, municipalities, and countries operating on the high seas. As far as you're aware, when did this notion of seasteading begin? I can remember hearing about it uh, from whole earth catalog types in the in the 1970s uh, but that's as far back as i can think about it being a, an i an, an, a notion it actually goes back into the mists of time i mean the ideas of uh, a floating society on the ocean where you could live and live in a different way goes back to antiquity uh, there's some debate over whether who first came up with the word seasteading uh, it was probably Wayne Gramlich, Patry Friedman's uh, partner in the early days of sort of describing why this is technologically possible. Uh, I think someone else is credited with independently coming up with the name. But the Seasteading Institute, which I run, was founded uh, 12 years ago, uh, 2008. And in that time, we've been doing research uh, about the technology and about the legal uh, strategies for getting out there. And I think we're about ready to pull the trigger and actually uh, get started building them and establishing them on the high seas. Now, the technology is uh, something I think most people are more concerned about, whether or not it's feasible, but uh, you assure me that you've got it cracked. Yes, it's surprisingly simple. So the first affordable single-family home was established on the Blue Frontier uh, in 2019. Uh, for much less than the average cost of an American home. So that was the breakthrough. Um, and seasteading technology has always been available in the form of a spar structure, which is uh, has been used by the oil and gas industry since the year Jimmy Carter was elected. Very old technology. And you can think of it as a giant pole. Uh, and imagine f- sticking this pole into the water and filling the bottom with cement. Uh, say the pole is, is 10 feet long. The bottom 10th would be filled with cement. The, the other nine feet would be, uh, empty. The empty part would provide buoyancy. The bottom would create a tremendous weight known as ballast in the trade. Uh, and then you could put your little house on top of this pole. And as the waves get quite high, if it's heavy enough, you remain perfectly stable. Uh, and ocean builders achieved that. Uh, so our, the challenge for seasteaders has always been, how do you bring the price of this down from a billion dollars to something a middle-class family could afford on the high seas? Okay. So on, on the legal front, uh, it was my understanding, at least a long time ago, when I, I spoke with Patrick Freeman years ago about this, was that the idea was not to be a part of some nation. It was to be uh, independent of nations. Is that, is that still the case? Yes. That the seasteads by definition have some measure of political autonomy. Um, and there are many ways to achieve that. Uh, one is you can negotiate with a host country to grant you a special economic zone that floats, which Tom W. Bell, our seasteading institute lawyer calls a sea zone. Um, but if you really want some serious freedom, you can go more than 200 miles out uh, and build something on the high seas uh, where you would be something close to independent, though it's 
complicated because you have you establish societies and negotiations with other countries, and you still have to deal with the law of the sea and international law. So there's a there's a whole lot of legal arbitrage involved. But now that we have the the marine technology to get started, uh, the Sea Stating Institute is seeking to uh, acquire a special flagging category for seasteads. Uh, we want to negotiate with a flagging registry like in the Bahamas or Malta or Panama, uh, many of which are private companies. So you don't even ever talk directly to the government. You talk to the people that franchise out the sovereignty. Uh, and if they think it's a good business play, they will uh, take us through the safety certification and the insurance processes to get this thing flagged as a unique category, not a boat, not an accommodation vessel, not a, a spar for the oil and gas industry, not an oil rig, but a actual seastead on the high seas. If we can create that legal category, then I think seasteading will be underway. So with all of that as a backdrop, uh, why do this? Is it just to uh, rebroadcast Major League Baseball with implied oral consent instead of uh, express written consent? Man, angel investors, if they, if they love startup companies, they really love the idea of a startup society. So if you believe that things are improved by trying new things, um, I usually use the, the analogy of, of Steve Wozniak. Uh, he worked for Hewlett Packard. He had this idea for the personal computer. He proposed it to them five times. They rejected it five times. And if he didn't have a place to go, if he had to stay with inside Hewlett Packard, we wouldn't have the Apple computer that I'm going to give my presentation on, on Saturday. Um, but because he could break away and try something new, he was able to establish a personal computer that changed all our lives. I think we can all agree that governments suck compared to what they could be. There's only 193 of them governing more than 7 billion people. I think we need some governance startups. And the excellent thing about Seasteads is that they're completely voluntary. If you have an idea for a better society, you can gather your allies, buy a Seastead, establish your own blockchain governance, whatever you want to do on the high seas. The whole world watches. They can laugh if it's a fiasco, and maybe they'll learn something if you succeed, then other people will get better ideas, steal your ideas. And we want to proliferate the, exper the governance experiments on the ocean and discover better ways of living together. So you describe a, a flag, that is to say, treating seasteads themselves similarly to vessels that just traverse the ocean. Um, I, it reminds me of The Moon is a Harsh Mistress when... Uh, on the moon, the colony said was trying was seeking recognition from uh, the nations of planet Earth, and I believe Chad was the uh, first and uh, uh, at least at some point only uh, country that recognized the moon as a a sovereign. So, what does that process look like in your view of establishing uh, this independence and and seeking? Uh, it, it's helpful to have recognition from. Yes. Uh, the other countries of, of the world, uh, what does that look like? Yes. I, the, the man who will go down in history as the first seasteader is also named Chad. Uh, and, and, and his wife, Nadia, they were the first seasteaders off the coast of Thailand. Uh, and we, we call this uh, strategic incrementalism, which is uh, fancy for baby steps, step by step. So I think the first seasteads, if they're established on a seamount somewhere around the, the tropical equator where waves are very low, you'll probably be far enough 
out and you'll have a small enough group of pioneers that the nations of the world probably won't be very interested. You certainly won't be a threat. You'll just be a gang of eccentrics trying to start a new society. Uh, if uh, an island nation like, say, Kiribati uh, begins sinking below the ocean and they establish some floating platforms uh, that they live on, uh, I know um, seasted lawyers who are eager to argue on the floor of the United Nations that they should still be recognized uh, as a country. They should still keep their uh, exclusive economic zone, even though they're no longer a sinking country. Now they're a floating country. Uh, they can make a humanitarian case that these people should still be a country. And if you win that case, what if somebody else builds another one 500 miles to the west? Uh, are they recognized as a country? So it's, I think of it as like cruise ships, which are uh, de facto self-governing. They're sort of floating cities, and they sort of grew up next to nation states over time and sort of won people over, and everybody thinks of them as uh, mostly beneficent, or at least they're a place you can go on vacation. And nobody, countries don't have a hostile relationship. Um, and the analogy I use, this can get very complicated for these baby steps of how you acquire recognition. And I think it will take time. It probably won't happen until babies are actually born on seasteads. And then there are arguments about, do these kids have a country? Who, who are they exactly? Do we need a new definition of what a new society is? Um, but the way you scale up is every step of the way, if you think of uh, the great governments of the world as sharks, uh, you want to behave like a cleaner fish. The Cayman Islands is a cleaner fish for the United States. Uh, they have no standing army, but they provide enough services to enough powerful people that the United States doesn't invade. Uh, likewise, uh, Malaysia doesn't invade Singapore. Even socialist Venezuela doesn't invade Trinidad and Tobago, and they're six miles offshore. So if you provide services that the nearby nations like, you can be like many of the island nations of the world, which have no standing army. What is the next step then? The next step is, uh, I feel like the nonprofit I run, the Seasteading Institute, is in the race with the actual engineers who are building the first seastead right now, or at least what they call the sea pod. Um, which will float in the waters of Panama as a kind of a demonstration project. And quickly, they want to start moving these out onto the high seas. Um, that will be a for-profit project. The interesting thing about the flag is that, in my interpretation, it's a public good. So once a seastead flag is established for the spar structure, any seastead company can use it in any ocean if they follow all the right safety rules. Um, that means to me that the nonprofit seasteading institute has to provide it. This will unleash seasteading all over the world. So what I'm earnest to do is to raise about $2 million to take the first high seas sea pod through the process with the naval engineers, with the certification companies, um, and with the insurers, the real maritime industry to say, yes, we hereby flag the seastead they, it is legal. Uh, and then two-thirds of the Earth's surface is open as a canvas to experiment with the first voluntary societies. Joe Quirk is president of the Seasteading Institute. We spoke last month. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast pretty much anywhere and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.